You know, today we're going to talk about something uh, really important, and I, I want to just ask a question to you. How concerned are you with purity in the different aspects of your life? And all you spiritual people are trying to digest whether I'm talking about, you know, in my action. Just purity in general. How, how important is air being pure to you? How important is your food being pure to you? How, how important is the water that you drink? I, I think we're all pretty obsessed with purity in the everyday things of life. In fact, I heard uh, one person say you can actually spend $3,000 on an analysis of your house to see why it smells bad. I mean, <laughs> this is how far we can go in today's world when it comes to things being pure in our life. Purity is something that we can all understand. And I think sometimes we miss probably the most important thing, and that is this, our hearts being pure. We're in this series, again, called I Am Blessed, and we're talking about the first few verses in Matthew chapter uh, 5 about what Jesus said about being blessed. He, he goes through several attributes about what it means to be blessed. Today, we're, we're hitting this, uh, Matthew 5, 8. It says this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let me ask you something. When somebody does something good for you, is it important just the good thing they do? Or why they're doing the good thing they do. Is it important just for them to do something good or is their motive just as equally important? Ladies, let me ask you. He comes home with flowers and you want to know why. <laughs> flowers are good. They're beautiful. It's the biggest bouquet ever. But is he just saying I love you or is he covering up a boo-boo he's getting ready to tell you about? I mean, good things are good, but just as important as the actual thing itself is the why, the motive behind the good thing. Jesus says that when you have a pure heart, you're blessed, and you will see God. Now, what does a pure heart mean? We're going to talk about the see God in a few minutes, but what, what does a pure heart mean? What does it mean to be pure? We have to go back to the original language in the, in the scriptures. It was Greek during this time, and this is what pure means. It means crystal clear, clean. Unmixed motives, clean. Now, I want to kind of put this in context for you for a minute because sometimes we're like, well, that's okay, just a little. If you turn on your tap water and it is one shade different than clear, do you have a problem with that? Yes. Uh, probably everyone in, in the room today and listening online would say, I have a problem with that. God is saying that you're blessed when you have unmixed motives, when your motives are crystal clear. It, it doesn't make someone perfect. But what it means is that their motives are pure. We need to know good actions are important, but God honors pure motives. Isaiah 29, 13, this is what God says. He, he, he was talking to a group of people that had gone back and forth. They were doing good things, then they would fall away. And, and then they got to doing good things, but their motives were wrong. This is what he says. These are people that they come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And I think that's interesting because they were actually honoring God. God said, you're honoring me. You're doing it with your lips. You're doing it with your actions. But you have become a people that are really religious and great on the outside, but inwardly, you're a mess. And that's easy for us to do, to do really good things on the outside, but on the inside, our motives are not pure. And, and I'd be the first one to say that, you know what, the Christian faith, we focus on what we do. But just as equally important, we focus on why we do it. And I would go as far as to say, and this is important for you to grasp, God focuses more on why you do it. Pure motives are important to God. You know why? He didn't just come to clean up your manners. He came to change your heart. 
That's what he came to do. And so he cares about your motives. So today, I want to walk through a few steps on how to get on the path to heart purity. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, I've got room to grow. And if you didn't say it, go ahead and say it. You need to say, I've, I've got room to grow. That's, that's the premise here. And I think everybody needs to start with this when you say, I've got room to grow. When it comes to being on the path of heart purity, the first step is this. I remember that God sees everything. Now, for some of you, you're like, oh, crap. You know, I, <laughs> we, we start to think like, does he really? See? Yes, he sees everything. Hebrews 4.13 says, nothing, say nothing. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. What does God see? He sees everything. Does he see 99% and miss the 1%? What's funny is we know that to be true, but we act like he does. We act like he, he misses 1%. And the funny thing is, is that that 1% is typically us. We always put ourselves in that 1% that God doesn't see. And we typically do it in two parts of our lives when things are happening. The, the first time is whenever things are going really bad. God must not see me. And the second time is when I'm getting ready to do something really wrong. <laughs> and then, you know, God, he, he, he must not see me. When your motives are wrong, there is nothing worse than knowing that God sees right through you. You may be able to fool everybody else. But when your motives are wrong, God sees the intricate parts of you. He knows everything. Nothing is hidden from him. There was a, a story of a pastor named Ralph Gerald, and back in the day, he had a four-year-old little boy, and he pastored at this really old church with a really old building, and, and I don't know how many of you are familiar with old church buildings, but back in the day, when you walked in the front door of the, of the, of the church, you were in the sanctuary. Like, there wasn't a lobby or, or much of one anyway, and how you got to the bathroom was there was a door on either side of the stage. Anybody remember that? Right where the organ is and right where the piano is. And there was both. It was almost like every week there were like dueling keyboards back and forth at each other. Uh, and, and so that was the door and this was the door. And that's how you got to the bathroom. That's how you got to the place where you had dinners with the church, Fellowship Hall, if you remember that. And so every, every morning, the pastor would be sitting, how many of you remember this, in, in the big oak chair sitting right about here. Some people called that God's throne. I mean, it was just, it was big and, and impressive, and that's where the pastor sat. And then in the choir, it was, that was a big choir loft back here, and that's where his wife was in the choir. So they didn't actually come down. The mom didn't come down until after the choir was done, and the, the Pastor Ralph, he was up here the whole time. Four-year-old little boy sat right there. And every Sunday, religiously, second song, second verse, he gets up, walks in front of the entire church, and goes through that back door, spends a few minutes in the bathroom, and walks right back out, four years old. And they finally told him, why are you doing this? Every week, religiously, you get up and you get in front of the whole church. Well, I got to go to the bathroom. Well, you need to go to the bathroom before. You know the routine, parents. We give our kids, go before, go after, do not go during. And it got to the point, he said, if you go during one more time, you are not going to like life. And so he took it to, he took it to heart. Uh, the next Sunday, second song, second verse, he gets up and walks out. He gets in the bathroom and he realizes, oh no, <laughs> I have forgotten that I'm not supposed to get up. And so he walks back through the door, except this time when he walks back in, he's doing this. And he walks, I mean, it takes longer now because he can't see what he's doing. And he's just stumbling and the, everyone's doing this. And they're watching this little four-year-old boy in his mind. You know, he's, he's walking back to his seat, and they're thinking, what in the world? Later on, they asked the little boy, what were you thinking? What were you doing? And he said, well, I figured if I couldn't see you, then you couldn't see me. 
<laughs> and isn't that the way we live sometimes? If I can't see God, then he can't see me. If, if I can't see him or I don't feel him or I don't think about him in the middle of what I'm doing, then somehow he must miss me. It must be that 1% that he misses. And we live like that, and Satan gets into that. And he says, you know what? Nobody's going to know. And so our motives begin to get twisted. The problem with that thinking is, is God knows not only when you do something, but God sees your heart when you're tempted. He sees what your heart is doing whenever you're tempted. What are you doing with that? By the way, do you know it's not wrong to be tempted? In fact, God said we would. Jesus was even tempted. But what we do with that temptation in our hearts, that's where it matters. And that's what God sees in you. He sees everything. He sees your motives. And nothing is hidden from God's sight. And for some of us, that can get freaky. And we, we, we think, oh, man, I am, I'm in trouble. <laughs> but I want you to hear another angle of this. God not only sees your motives, he not only sees your heart, but he still loves you when he sees your heart. He still loves you. And, and that's, that's hard sometimes because we, we, we get to the place where we're like, you know what, how can God love me? Because I know what I'm feeling. I know what's going on deep inside of me. There's no way God could love that. I mean, I, I think about it for myself, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, how can God love me with some of the thoughts that I have sometimes? But the fact is, is that he sees every single part of you, and he still says you're worth dying for. He still says, I, I love you. He still says that you're worth it to me. He still says, I see untapped potential inside of you. He still sees the best of you that's yet to come because God is the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and the omega. He not only sees the part of your life now and where you've been, he sees where he wants to take you. And he sees you as perfect because of his son, Jesus Christ. And so when he sees you, you have to understand, before you can go any further, God sees everything about me. Nothing is hidden from his sight. He sees everything, and here's the key, and he still loves me. He still wants to pursue me, and he still wants to walk with me on this path to a pure heart. He knows your faults. He knows what you struggle with, and he still loves your socks off. <laughs> he's, he's more in love with you than anyone has ever been. So that, that's the first step. God sees everything, and here's the second little part of that, and he still loves me. And it's when we understand that that we can really get a grasp on the second part, and that is this. I, rem, I review my motives. I review my motive. I mean, once I understand that, you know what, God sees all of them and he loves me anyway, then it kind of gives me a, a fresh perspective, a, a kind of a clean slate. I can say, okay, let's get to work here. Let's, let's look at what my motives really are. Do an honest evaluation of why do I do the things that I do. That's one of the most difficult things to do is actually get inside your own head, look at your own self in the mirror, and try to evaluate why you do the things you do. If we get really honest with ourselves, and we let God help us because that's what it takes, we will realize, if we're honest enough to admit it, that our motives are wrong sometimes. We, we, are, we have wrong motives. Even if your motives started out pure, a lot of times we can do something for so long that after a while our motives actually get mixed up. And so we need to review them from time to time. Proverbs 16.2 says, all of a person's ways, they seem pure to them. You know what that means? That means you can be doing some things sometimes, and it seems like you're doing it for the right reasons. Because we're burying things, or maybe we're, we're refusing to look at our, our honest self, refusing to look at who we really are and why we do things the way we do. It says, but motives, they're weighed by the Lord. Therefore, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. In other words, when you get the why right, when you get the motive right, then God will breathe life and blessing into the what? When you begin to get your motives squared away, God will bring power and pace into the what? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught on probably three of the biggest you know, what's there are when it comes to the Christian life. He talked about giving 
praying and fasting. And he, he didn't say if you do these things as if somehow they're an option. He said when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. And he talked about them. Now, that means we're supposed to be doing these things consistently as God followers. Why do they talk about motives? It's interesting. He, he didn't just talk about doing these things. He spent the majority of this chapter talking about the purpose and the, the motives of why you're doing them. Because this was, it was a religious crowd. There were lots of people doing lots of good things, but their, their hearts were far from God. And so Jesus spent the time talking about their motives. And, and we do these things. We give. We pray. A lot of people fast. And he talks about giving, for instance, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. And he says this, when you do good to people, giving of yourself to other people, I love this, don't hire a trumpeter to go up in front of you. <laughs> Can you imagine somebody doing that? Like, don't hire someone to go blow a big horn to bring attention to what you're doing. He said, people do that, like, like these play actors. In other words, people that pretend to be something they're not. They're doing this in the synagogues, they're doing it in the streets, and they make sure that everybody admires them. He said, believe me, they will have all the reward that they're going to get. Now, it sounds funny, but can you imagine somebody bringing in, like to this service right here, like if we're going to take up the offering or something, and someone actually bringing a, a trumpet with them, and right before like they did something, they like blew a big trumpet so everybody would know? I don't have a trumpet, but I brought a kazoo with me. <laughs> And you, yeah, I'm really going to do this. Yeah, and so is this a, so you, you come in, and, and, and right before you give the offering, <laughs> you know, and then it comes down the other side, and there's like somebody else over here trying to outdo them. <laughs> yeah, it's like bringing attention to myself. And as ridiculous as that sounds right now, that's what God sees when he sees motives that are impure. He's like, just like this being ridiculous, yes, Pastor Ryan is blowing a kazoo during church. It's like, that's, maybe that's not what you're doing on the outside, but on the inside, that's what you're doing. Everybody look at me. Look at the spectacle that I am. Have you ever been to a church where everything is labeled? Like, literally, there's plaques on everything. Like, this, this chair was given, you know, by... George B. Humble, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, why? why? Why are you bringing attention to your name? And, and, and this pulpit was given by Mr. Meek right there in the front where everybody can see it during the whole service. This door was donated by Daisy Do-Right, you know, and it's like, why is everything labeled? Sometimes it gets so ridiculous, you think, like, this, this floorboard was given by, and then they, per, listen, I, I don't have anything against memorials. You need to understand that. But why are we memorializing the living? Why are we bringing attention? Did every person, they, you know, every time we give, we act like we have to tell everybody. Jesus is saying, when you do good to other people, don't, don't hire a, a, a kazoo artist. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Don't bring attention to what you're doing. When you showcase what you're giving in public, then you accept praise from people. And that's all you're going to get. And, and, and we do that, we actually circumvent the blessings and the reward that we could be getting from God. God says, don't do it for show. Don't, don't do it and, and, and blow a trumpet, you know, so everybody can. Don't bring attention to yourself. In verse 3 and 4, Jesus says, you know, when you give to charity, don't, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be done in secret. And because God sees everything, God sees what you're doing in secret. And your father, who sees what you do in secret, he will reward you. 
You ever talk to yourself after you do something good? Man, you are so generous. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> we just talk ourselves up. And sometimes we, we do it to the point that, man, we, we, a kazoo's not even good enough. Now we've we got to bring in, like, the major party horn. You know, and then, you know, it, that's how it looks. And then we're, we're trying to outdo each other in conversation. And someone's trying to tell you about something they did, and they're blowing their kazoo. And you're like, yeah, well, you know, I did that too. And when I gave, and when I did this, and I'll tell you what, it actually got so good that I actually bring two with me because I gave double. Uh, and then, you know, then I get my kazoo. <laughs> and, and, and everybody's going, you know, that's ridiculous, that's, but that's what's happening on the inside of us. We're like itching for somebody to know what we're doing. Oh, I gave to this person. Or, oh, I did, I'm so charitable. You are such a generous person. Look at yourself in the mirror. Look, look at you. And Jesus said, you know what? When you do that, you have your reward. Jesus said in verse 5 through 15, he talks about praying. He's like, when you pray, like, don't do it like you're praying to the gallery, like you're using all these flowery words just to show how spiritual you are. Don't, don't do that. So people will do what? Yeah, wow, listen, what a prayer. And that's your reward. That's literally the reward that you're going to get. You've tied God's hands. You've circumvented the reward that God could have given you because your, your reward is public praise. And he goes on in verse 16 through 18 to talk about fasting, not something you, you might do occasionally. He says, when you do it. Don't walk around and tell everybody you're fat. Don't walk around and like, you know, like pretend like that you're, you're so hungry and look how skinny I am. And oh, I'm so, I can't wait till Friday, brother. I'm going to tell you what, I'm fasting now, but I'm going to dig into that steak on Friday. Bless God. And, and, and everybody's looking at you like, oh, wow, he must be super, he's a, he's a master faster. Look at him. Look at her. Man, uh, will you pray for me? You're fasting so much. And then that's, that's literally the reward you're going to get. Fasting is one of the most, one of the most, I can't think of the word. The word on earth will be awesome. Things that you can do to draw near to God. Not draw near people. So what are you doing it for? Are, are, are you blowing a kazoo? Are you blowing a trumpet? You know, the little things on the end of it so everybody can see and hear what you're doing? Or are you doing something in secret so that God can see it and that God can reward you? Letting God be a part of what you're doing. Drawing near to Him. There's no need to parade yourself. Let me ask you this question. Whenever you do good, is it hard for you to keep it a secret? <laughs> Here you go. You can have this. At least she's honest. I mean, I think we need to give her applause just for being honest. Yeah. Hey. Because everybody else is a bunch of liars. You, you have stock in these little things in your heart. You know you do. I do. I fight it, man. You do something good, you want everybody to know. I mean, like you, you wake up at like 2 in the morning, and you can't go back to sleep, and you know God's calling you to get up and spend time with Him. It's one of the best times you'll ever have in life, right? And you think, man, you spend from like 2 to 6, let's just say, and you're praying, and you're reading your Bible, and God shows you all these awesome things. What do you do when you go to work? You want to find a Christian so that you can do. You want to tell people what you did. Man, pulled an all nighter. Stayed up all night praying with God. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> you know, wow, you stayed up all night? Man, you, that's something. That's your reward. That's it. You want to put your reward in the hands of people that can give you temporal stuff? like accolades, which, by the way, leaves you always hungry for more? 
Or do you want to put your reward in the hands of God who can bless you in your spirit that's eternal, that never goes away and brings you a joy everlasting and full of glory that, that is there in the most difficult times of life? 1 Thessalonians 2.4 said, Paul was talking to the church. He said, our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone, say he alone. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. So who do you want to please most? Make sure the answer is God. Even though we're human and we fight that, make sure the answer is God. So review your motives. Who are you trying to please? I love Psalm 19, verse 14. David said this, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. I love that because he talks about his words and he talks about his meditation and his heart, the part that nobody sees, but he says, you know what? I do both of those, but I love this. Let it be pleasing in your sight. You know what that means? That means God sees it. He sees you. And I, wanna, I want you to, to make sure you understand that you can have the joy knowing that the God of the universe sees you. You can have peace knowing that God Almighty, who slung stars in place and knows them all by name, knows your name, and he sees you, and he's honored when you keep what you do, the good things you do, a secret between you and him. You can, you can honor God. You can bless God. You can make God turn his head at you and look at you favorably and say, man, I'm telling you what, that person down there is nailing it for me. I am so pleased with, with you insert your name here, whatever it happens to be. I, I'm telling you, that, that amazes me that you can make the God of the universe turn his head and look at you favorably because you give and you pray and you fast and you do good to other people and you do good to God and you keep it between you and him. So, so review your motives. What are you doing it for? The praise of people or to the glory of God? You know, I think sometimes we need to review our motives, but not just when we're doing good things. Sometimes I think we need to review our motives when we're going and, and making decisions from a day-to-day basis. Can we just go a little deeper here for a second? Because I think sometimes we do things and our motives get blurred and we need to give ourselves the gift of self-awareness. And I, I say this as a gift because when you can really know why you're doing things, then you can have the power in and of yourself, if, with God's help, of course, to change it. How, how, how are you going to change something you're doing wrong that's unhealthy if you're not even aware that's why you're doing it? So self-awareness is a gift. I talked about this a little bit last week, that we make decisions in our present, and those decisions in our present on the surface are tethered and tied to a dysfunction of our past, and we don't really realize that we're doing it. It's, it's the girl whose uh, father left the family. And then mom went through several more husbands, and all of those left. And then she grows up herself, and husband leaves her. And, and now she's making these decisions in present day. And when she gets close enough to somebody she's dating, and, and it starts to get really, you know, kind of intimate, and the relationship is, is going, you know, the, the DRT, define the relationship. Uh, I think I said that backwards, but who cares? And, and, and it gets to the point where you have to really define what the relationship is, and all of a sudden walls go up. Why do walls go up? Well, because there's a truth that she's living by, and that truth is this. Men leave. And so to avoid getting hurt, she starts being distant. She starts being 
aggravated. She starts doing things almost to sabotage the relationship on purpose. And, and the people that she dates, they would look at you and say, you know what, she, she's just mean. <laughs> she, she's just a mean person. She's not marriage material. It gets down to the point, and, and it's like, I don't know where this person came from. Why? Well, that's just, that's just an observation from the surface. But if we really look, there is, there is a, a decision-making mechanism in her mind here that's, that's tethered to a, a dysfunction in the past. Are we self-aware? Does she even realize that's what the motive is? Let me give you one a little lighter, but still heavy just as true, is a man that I know who grew up poor. And he grew up so poor, in fact, there were times when he tells stories, he, he remembers eating potato chips dipped in ketchup for dinner as a little boy at one particular time. And he was oldest of his brothers and sister, and so he, he felt like he was responsible and it was heavy on him. Well, later on in life, he grows up, fast forward a little bit, and he gets a good-paying job, and he gets married, and, and all of a sudden, he, he is talking to his wife, and they're talking about finances, and she's saying, hey, can, can I get $5 to do that? We don't have it. And we don't have that money, and it needs $10 to take the kids. We don't, we don't have it. And she thinks, man, we are poor. When in fact, they're not poor at all. He's just been hoarding money in the savings account because he never wants to be poor again. He never wants his family to go through what he went through. He never wants his kids to have to do without. All their needs are being met. They have the clothes they need. They have the food they need. Sometimes there's even an abundance, but she thinks they're poor because he's hoarding all their money in a savings account out of fear, making decisions on the surface that are tethered to something, a dysfunction in the past. It's funny because you fast forward, you know, many decades later, he's retired, owns his own business, and uh, his wife gets aggravated with him because he doesn't just buy a pair of shoes. If he finds a pair he really likes that he's going to wear, he'll buy three, <laughs> three pairs. He doesn't get one stick of deodorant. He comes home with four. Many people are okay and content with a jar of peanut butter. He gets the half gallon. <laughs> Some of you are like, what's wrong with that, you know? Maybe not a whole half gallon, but you get the picture. He gets the very biggest one that he can find. And he also has a very large house. Some people look at that as careless spending. And on the surface, it may appear that way. But could it be that those decisions he's making are to make sure there's an abundance in the present? Because I never want to experience the lack that I had in the past. Making decisions on the surface that are tethered and tied to a dysfunction of the past. Did you know that we make decisions every single day? Statistics say, some really smart people say, that you, by yourself, make 35,000 conscious decisions each day. And I wonder how many of those decisions are, are pure in heart, or are they tied to a dysfunction of your past? How do you decide the things that you decide? Why do you decide the things that you decide? Now, you may say, well, how am I supposed to know if something's tied to a dysfunction in my past? Well, you may not know. And that's just a fact. But that gray area shouldn't give us a pass on seeking to become self-aware. We should always become self-aware. Get by yourself. Ask God, God, show me. Are there areas of my heart? Are there areas in, in my decision-making, specifically with the closest people to me in my life, that I'm making decisions because of a dysfunction in the past, no matter how big or small? Open me up. Show me. Show me how I can be better. Show me how I can have a more pure heart. Show me how I can know what my motives really are. And I'm just going to say it. It's one of the most uncomfortable things you'll ever do is get real with yourself. It just is. Nobody wants to look in the mirror. Nobody wants to see their own faults because we're self-condemners by nature. But that's not the nature of God. 
He looks at us with compassion. He looks at us with not condemnation, but he looks at us with conviction, aiming us towards a solution. Are you brave enough to get in front of the mirror? Am I brave enough to actually look at myself long enough, to look at yourself long enough, to own up to why I do things the way I do them, and then get on a path to heart purity? That's a question worth investigating. That's a question worth thinking about. How do I start down that path? So I got to review my motives, and then I got to have some self-awareness in my life. And then once I've done that, I can take what I've learned, and I can do the third thing on this path, and that's I can realign my priorities. I can take what I've learned, take what I know my motives are, and I can realign my priorities in a way that honors God. That's when we take self out of the center. And that's whenever we put God in the center and let him breathe life into every other thing. Some of you are trying to take hold of what you think your marriage should be, and you're very dominating in it. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's another relationship. And if you just put God in the center of your life when it comes to your marriage, you'll find that you have what you need to be a better husband. You'll find you have what you need to be a wife. You'll find that God will breathe into you the very life-giving elements that you need, and your relationship will flourish because of it. Maybe it's some other area in your life that you're trying to take hold of, like your job, or, or maybe you know, you're up for some type of promotion and it's against somebody else, and you're just so stressed out, and you're trying to make sure, make sure, make sure to an unhealthy level, because you're trying to take it on yourself, and you're leaving God out, and what God is saying is, let me breathe life into those things, because your priorities need to be realigned. And sometimes we, we struggle after trying to get these things done, and, and kind of going back to the last point, because of some dysfunction in our past. We're not validated in some way. So we've got to make sure that we get this done so that we'll look good in front of them so that we'll feel better about ourselves. And God is saying, no, realign your priorities and put me in the center. We did a, a series a while back called The Ripple Effect. And the whole premise of it was that the ripple effect in your life is like throwing a, a pebble into a pond. And if you can imagine a still water pond and you throw one pebble into it and there's a kind of a big splash in the middle and then there's these ripples that come out. It's real symmetric. It's real beautiful. The pace is the same. It's really, it's really nice. It's really orderly when you look at it. And they said, that's, that's what your life is like whenever you make God the center of your priorities. And, and you take a pebble and you stick it right in the middle, and then it just breathes life again into those priorities. And all those outer kind of ripples that go out, those are all the other things in your life. Maybe the first outer part is, is your marriage. And then, you know, you got your kids and your family, and then you got your job, and then, you know, the church or, or however that is. And, and it keeps going out and out and out. And, and if you keep God in the center and you keep throwing pebbles that represents God into the center of that, then all, then it, it looks great. It looks perfect. It's orderly. And that center gives pace and purpose and power to the rest of the ripples. The problem is, is that when we, we look at some of the other ripples on there and we go, you know what? I need to fix that. And we take another pebble and we throw it over there in that ripple. And then that starts its own ripple effect. And then we come over here and say, well, my, my job is not secure. And I, I've been praying about it. Now it's time for me to take over and not wait on God. And so we, we throw one at that. And then there starts another ripple. And then you can just imagine you're throwing several rocks in this pond. And they're all creating their own different ripple effects. And now what looked like order in the beginning is now chaos. And that's what our lives begin to look like when we try to take, put the priorities out of whack. And we try to take take the, the control ourselves. And what God is saying is, no, let all that calm down. Come back to me and start in the center. And let me take control. Let me have the priority in your life. And as you do that, I will control the pace and I will control what I infuse with power in your life. And everything you do and everything you touch will be blessed. 
we have to realign our priorities. God, God says this in the Old Testament, and, and I love this. He says, you must not have any other gods before me. What's a God in your life that you put before him? It could be something as obvious as a person, some type of drug, or it could be something as seemingly simple as worry, and it just overtakes you, and that's what you put at the center of your heart. That's what you're throwing pebbles at, so to speak, trying to attack. And God is saying, let me have priority in your life. You must not have any other gods before me. It's not because he's egotistical or he's some, you know, person that just wants you to just come to him just because he wants his name out there as some ego kind of way. He's saying that when you put me first in your life, you will find that I meet every need that you have. And that's really what it's about. We're trying to meet our own needs. And God's saying, let me meet those needs. Did you know that, that when you put God at the center, you'll begin to see him at work? Jesus said, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. When you begin to have the purity of heart to make your priority him, you'll begin to see him. <laughs> Everything you do in life, you'll begin to see him. There, there won't be any other ripples going on this that you're trying to attack. It'll be order. Right in the center. You're putting God in the center, and all those ripples will begin to be in order, and you'll begin to see God set the pace and, and put power into everything that you do. You'll begin to see him in your job. You won't know how things flipped the way they did. You didn't even see it coming, but you'll begin to see God. You'll see him at work in your marriage. You, you'll watch your spouse change in such a way that you never thought possible. And probably even more important, you'll see yourself change in such a way that you never thought possible. And you thought that other person was going to bring the change to actually do something in the marriage, and God actually changes you. It's amazing how he does it. I can't tell. I wish I could tell you step one, step two. Only God knows how he does it. You'll see him. You'll see him at work when you're tempted. Man, what used to just send me over the edge, now I feel like I've got some control. Why? Because you're doing it? No, because you put God at the center of your life and your priority is him. And he's setting the pace for you. He's setting power in your life. He, you'll see him bring peace in the darkest time of your life whenever you don't even realize how peace is possible. He will bring it in the middle of your darkness. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. I want to close by praying for you. Because I, I know this message hits home. I know it does. Uh, they all kind of do. But this one is <laughs> it's one of those things that I feel like we all struggle with. But yet none of us are willing to talk about. And that's our motives. That's our heart. That's why we do what we do. Can I just pray for you? Can we do that together? And before we do, can I just ask you this? Can, can you just be open right now? Because it's hard to be open with each other. We rarely give ourselves the last part of us that we reserve for just us. But the fact is, is that that small percentage that you always hold for yourself, God sees it right now. So I wonder if you just be vulnerable enough to him as we pray. Can you just focus on him that way and just kind of open up your heart to him and let him talk to you? Let's pray. God, Lord, a day like this, a room like this, you're here. And maybe that just needs to sink in for some of us. It's not Pastor Ryan that's here giving us this word. It's you, it's you that's here. You're here. We are entertaining the presence of a holy God right now. You see every person that's hearing online, that's sitting in the room, that's in the lobby, that's 
you see us. And, and not only do you see us on the outside, you measure our hearts. You actually see our motives. You, you see the parts of us that are hurting. You, you see the parts of us that are in pain. You, you see the darkness that we face. God, you, you see the trials and the struggles that we go through. You see every bit of it. And, and your word says you care. Your word says you love us so much. Even while our backs were turned against you, Romans says that you came. That's the moment you decided that you were going to come and, and send Jesus Christ. So we're in this room right now, and we're, we're listening to this, this word, and we're just contemplating everything that, that we just heard. And, and the fact is, is that you see us in entirety right here. And Lord, my prayer for, for us today, for this church, is that you would empower us to walk out of here. And as we do that, God, that you would give us the courage to be able to put actions to our words and put you first. To put actions to our faith and figure out what our real motives are. To put actions to our, sometimes our, our fear, let that be an encourager, and just look at ourselves in the mirror and say, God, I don't, I don't, I don't even want to do this, but I trust you enough to walk me through. There's a hurt in my life, and I, I know that it's there because I feel it. I know it's there because I've, I've been shoving it underneath everything to try to get by from day to day. Years may have passed. Lord, I know it's still there, and you know it's still there, and it's time I acknowledged it. I can't always draw the connections as to what it makes me do or not do, but God, I know you do. I need you to help me. For some of you right now, that is a very real truth for you. I wonder if you'd be bold enough right now to just let God in your heart and let today be a starting point that you begin to let him in that area of your life. For some of you, it means opening up some old wounds that you keep taping up and actually let God get in there and heal it. God loves you, and God is our healer, and he is capable of walking you through, and he is faithful to complete it to the end. Trust him. Lord, let us examine ourselves as, as we walk out of here. Not so that we can just flaunt, but God, so that we can be better people for you. So that we can be more transparent and more true. So that when people see and hear us, they see and hear you. That we can be your church. For some of us in the room who are listening online today, your first step in, in being transparent is, is maybe being transparent before a holy God and, and accepting him as Lord. To say, I am done living for myself. If that's you in the room today, I trust the fact that God's already pulling at your heart. I'm just the guy that comes up at the end and says, would you say yes to him? Would you aim your heart at him? Would you be courageous enough to do that? I'm going to pray a simple prayer. I wonder if you'd pray this with me. The whole message today has been God sees your heart. He, he knows you inside and out. So he, he knows your heart. I wonder if you'd pray this prayer with me and mean it, and he'll see it. God, I need you. I'm lost without you. I believe that I am an imperfect human being with sometimes I have imperfect motives and I need you to save me. I, I am not deserving of a perfect God and a perfect heaven. I am an imperfect human being. But you bridged that gap when you sent your son Jesus to die for me. Romans says that the, the wages of sin is death. The cost of sin, the cost of my imperfection, the cost of my falling short is death. That's a hard thing for me to grab my mind around. But Jesus came and died that death for me, shed his blood for me and demonstrated his power over that by raising to life, raising right out of the grave, giving me life and life to the full. Now, I, I don't know how all that works, but I trust him and I have faith. And I believe that. 
I don't have all the answers and I'm definitely not perfect, but I'm starting here fresh. God, help me as I walk this path out in Jesus' name. And then one day I'm going to get to heaven and I'm, I'm going to be deserving of you, not because of anything I've done, but because of Jesus. I'm still putting my hope and my trust in him. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Can we say amen together? Amen. Look at me for just one second. Can we, can we just take five seconds and congratulate everybody who said yes to Jesus in the house today? Now, let me, let me give you a bold challenge if that was you. Don't walk out of here and do it alone. You have a Connect card in front of you, and I wonder if you take a second and check a box on there that says, I prayed to receive Christ. One of the most biggest detriments that has ever been is for people to pray to receive Christ and walk out and never connect with a life-giving church. Let us be that church for you. Would you say, I prayed to receive Christ on a Connect card? We want to follow up with you. We want to pray for you. And we want to give you some next steps that you can take to be a part of this church family. It's more than just coming to church services. We want you to become a part of what it means to have life-giving relationships in the, in the family of God. So would you, would you take a bold step? Would you check that box? For everybody else in the room, I want you to take a second and fill that Connect card out. Uh, we have baptisms next week. Uh, we have classes that go on. We have bridge groups going on. What is your next step? Because I, I can tell you right now, if you, all you do is come to church services, at a certain point in time, you're going to go, is there anything more to the church than this? It's going to happen inside your spirit. Church services will get old if that's all you do is come in and leave. What's your next step? There's a place on that Connect card for you to check a box. And it's not just to give us information. It's for us to be a resource to you. We want to be able to make sure that you connect in a life-giving, meaningful way. If you're here for the very first time today, thank you so much for coming. I just want to express my gratitude for you worshiping with us. If you haven't already, we have a VIP table out in the lobby. We'd love for you to stop by. We have a gift for you. Guys, I love you so much, and I'll see you next week. Have a great week, guys.